0: This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.
1: And welcome to this bonus episode from for Tech's Sake, where we have much more safe tech tips for you from Brian Honan, an internationally recognized cybersecurity expert who has advised Europol's Cybercrime Center, among others. There's so much to talk about when it comes to cybersecurity that we could only fit a fraction of our discussion into our main episode. Lucky for you Headstuff Plus community members, we have the entire episode here for you to listen, learn and rethink your cyber hygiene. This one is also packed with insights for business leaders and decision makers when it comes to cybersecurity, because as you will have heard in our main episode, Brian is not into victim blaming when it comes to cybercrime. He can see a future where we aren't beset with a preponderance of passwords, authenticators, and multi-factor login tools, but this will require vendors making better designed security systems. Find out more from Brian how car safety provides a better model for cybersecurity, why paying ransoms makes this problem so much worse, how scams have evolved while also staying much the same since the days of writing letters, what impact AI will have on our online safety and much more in this extended interview. If you want to skip to the bits that weren't in the main episode, we'll drop some timestamps in the show notes, but you'd be just as well to let rip and get to grips with some cybersecurity tips by listening to the whole thing. And we'll be back to you on the main feed next week with an all new episode. Brian, thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. So... Tell us a little bit about, you know, we've talked a little bit about HSE attack. There's also been, you know, attacks in the US, for example, Colonial Pipeline, which affected, you know, the gas network there and things like that. So the threat landscape does definitely seem to have gotten worse in the last couple of years. Why is
2: that? It's simply because there's money in cybercrime. Uh, We have a huge amount of uh, people getting involved in cybercrime because they can make a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And... They're making money with a relatively low level of risk as well. So, for example, if uh, I'm a hacker and I want to break into, uh, say, one of the banks here or hack a company here in Ireland, uh, I'm not going to do it from uh, a computer based here in Ireland because I'm in the same jurisdiction and the guy can come and arrest me and bring me to an Irish court. Uh, I'll hack somewhere. Uh, remotely uh, and through that computer, I'll hack another computer. And from that computer, I may hack uh, my ultimate target back here in Ireland. So now we have a situation where I am shielded by two or three uh, hops where I've, I'm protected from. Those are in other jurisdictions. So if the victim company calls Angarda and Angarda Chikana gathers the evidence, they identify an IP address as coming from a country, say, for example, Brazil. Uh now we've got an international search warrant having to be issued by Ongarishi Economy to the Brazilian police Uh that takes time. And then the Brazilian police find that the attack came from a computer that was compromised from another country, say China, and now you've got uh, international search warrants there as well. So it can take a lot of time and effort for the police to track this down. So as a criminal and, you know, I've had months now to to move on and, mm. and, and and make better. So the, the risk is relatively low and mm. the rewards can be quite high. So that's why we're seeing uh, a, a surge in cyber crime is that criminal gangs are get heavily involved. And I think part of the issue we historically have is when we think of cybersecurity or IT security or information security or whatever you want to call it, because uh, we've gone through many different mm-hmm. f- d- different names for it over the years. Uh, Ultimately, you know, the, the the typical vision we have is a pimply teenager stuck in their parents' basement who plays online computer games and in between is, 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 is hacking companies just for fun. There's a certain amount of truth in that, that there are people out there like that. But now the you know, you, you mentioned the HSE that that is an organized criminal gang who are making millions of dollars per year on their activities. And it's highly um, profitable for them, uh, so therefore it, they're highly motivated to carry it out. And it's it's, it's it, it it makes it a bigger challenge for us all.
0: And is that money is that money coming straight from ransomware? Which I think the HSE attack was a ransomware attack, where they mm-hmm. basically
2: yeah.
0: take over your systems and hold it to ransom. Or is it also from selling the data? Like, is there other ways that they're making money? Because obviously the the deal is to not pay the ransom. That's what you should should never
2: do. That's the advice is not to pay the ransom. Um, And we can come back to that in in a few minutes. But to answer your your question, Elaine, Mm -hmm. criminals make money in any way they can. So uh, ransomware has become very in your face For the past few years, uh, simply because it's tied into how easy it it is to use cryptocurrency. Ransomware is not new. We've had ransomware back in the 1990s. But back then, the ransomware was your computer got encrypted, you got ransom demand, you you know, you had to use traditional uh, money transfer methods, uh, uh, banking transfers or any other money transfer methods, which were very easy for the police to track down. And and, you know, so you would have police, you know, we're we're sending we're wiring money to this to, to this address in this this country. The police would ring the police in that country and the criminals will be will, will, will be picked up. Uh, I'm over simple, simple yeah. it, but that's generally what it was back in the nineties and early 2000s. But with cryptocurrency, it means it's uh, quicker payment to the criminals, uh, less risk to them. Cryptocurrency is not uh, immune, you know, you're, you're not totally uh, anonymous in in, in cryptocurrency. Uh, so it, it does take the police longer to track you down. But it, it again, criminals can make uh, money quickly and a lot of money through, through it. So ransomware is one way they make money. Uh, to, So if you take the HSE attack, the criminals had what we call a double distortion uh, attack against the HSC. One was they demanded, I think the ransom demand was twenty million dollars to get the uh, key to decrypt the data they had encrypted. So the HSC would have had to pay twenty million to get that, and another ten million euro on top of that, not to publish the uh, data they stole online. So there's there, there's two. The criminals are trying to get you both ways. You know, mm-hmm. you want to get your data back, well it's going to cost you this, and you you want us not to publish it. It's going to cost you cost you this and uh, that's a a double extortion attack. We also have seen now what we call triple extortion attacks where the criminals actually go through the data they've stolen and if they find anything incriminating in the company's data, they add an extra ransom on top of that. Um, Or an example would be there was a uh, a psychiatric clinic in Finland which was hit about two years ago uh, by uh, ransomware. There was a demand to for the, the key to decrypt the data. There was a demand given to them uh, for the uh, to not to publish the data online. But the criminals also went through the individual patient records and contacted each individual patient and asked them for uh, an individual ransom for not to have their individual information over there. So. To me, hopefully what we're getting a picture here is that, you know, the cuddly little hacker we talked Mm -hmm. about at the beginning. That's not who's involved in cybercrime now. These are hardened criminals who don't care who they hurt or what they need to do. And sometimes I see headlines, you know, oh, hackers give key to hot to ransom hospital for free. And it's kind of like, oh, aren't they the Robin Hood of the, you know? No, they have victimized. You know the most vulnerable in society, and just because they give the key to sort of say, "Oh, look, we're sorry," doesn't make them any, any nicer. These are hardened criminals who will uh, get into any type of crime uh, to make money. Cybercrime being one of it. We we know these cyber criminals are part of organized crime in general. So there's they're part of gangs that do human trafficking, that do drugs, that do all the stuff that you you know we we read about in the papers. These are all tied in together.
0: Yeah, and I think what you said there about the cryptocurrency is really interesting, and also just the the ability to kind of communicate remotely and work remotely. Like these are all tied with those things that are great about innovation, because mm. we use them ourselves day to day to connect with people, to work with people all over the world, and the things that have made life easier for us in many ways are also making life easier for criminals. It's Absolutely. a lot easier for them to do what they do, and cryptocurrency, still something that hasn't really hit the mainstream here, has been. Definitely optimized by them faster than anyone else in, in common society. Oh, like
2: there's, there's a, a famous cybersecurity uh, uh, person, uh, Miko Hippinen, uh, based out of Finland, who works for uh, with Secure, uh, uh, an antivirus company based out of uh, Helsinki, and he actually talked about how they've they, they've been monitoring uh, Bitcoin wallets that are belong to known criminal gangs, and they've actually made money by not withdrawing the money out the, out the wallets because the cryptocurrency values have gone up, you know, so they he says we have, you know, you've got tech unicorn startups, you've got cyber cyber criminal unicorns as well, who have just made money by simply have using cryptocurrency like we, we all do, and they've just yeah. got the benefit of having lots of it. <laughs>
0: Take that into account, Andreessen and Horowitz. <laughs> when you invest in cryptocurrency, you could be actually inflating the valuation of a That's criminal actually, gang. That
2: could be part of it, yeah. And, you know, same thing you, you, you mentioned, Elaine, about paying the ransom. You you pay the ransom to the, to these people. You are funding their ability to do more research and to inflict more pain mm-hmm. and, and get more victims. And which is why many of us in the cybersecurity community and including law enforcement, et cetera, will advise people not to pay the ransom. Now, of course, if you're a business owner and you have to, that's a tough decision you may have to make sometime. Mm-hmm. But I would recommend make that de- decision now whether or not you're going to pay a ransom if you get hit, uh, because trying to make that decision at two o'clock on the Sunday morning when all your systems are down is, yeah. is, is not the, not the most optimal stuff. And that's when they'll come. <laughs> that's when they come. Friday afternoons is our busiest time.
1: Yeah, often like over holiday periods and things like that. Yeah. Basically, when the IT team is probably a skeleton crew, they're exactly. going home, they might not be there at that's, all. That's when they hit. And the damage is being yeah. done. If you
2: take the HSE, they hit uh, HSE in the middle of Thursday night. Uh, yeah. Just before the weekend.
1: And the the HSE attack is one of many examples of ultimately, like there is all these tech um, tools and these advancements that make it easier to um, do ransomware attacks, you know, commit cyber crimes. But ultimately, there is a very simple um weak link in the chain, which is always kind of going. It's often a human element of or yeah, do you think that that's I hate overly, that phrase, yeah?
2: Jenny? I really do. Uh, you know, we're blaming we're blaming the victim. Yeah. Here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you look at any of the uh, uh, research reports that are out there mm-hmm. on, on, on breaches, you'll find that a lot of breaches actually were detected by people. Yeah. And prevented by people rather than all the fancy technology yeah. that we were spending money on. So I would argue people are our are, are best defense. Yeah. If they're properly trained and they're properly aware. But it's also uh, in, in your introduction, you talked about the, uh, you know, old I.T. systems in place. And, you know, if if your whole infrastructure and your whole I.T. systems go down simply because somebody clicked on an attachment in an email mm. or a link in an email. Well, that's kind of like blaming, you know, you're you're blaming the user for that. But what other defense did you have in place mm. to prevent that from happening? People will make mistakes. Email is designed to work the way it is. Mm. It's designed for us to send attachments. It's designed for us to send links. Uh, you know, if, if if we were to make email secure, it would be unusable. Mm. You know, if we want to be absolutely secure, it would be unused, but we wouldn't be using it. Uh, So we have to, as professionals, IT professionals, cybersecurity professionals, and a call out to the vendors out there as well. uh, We have to make the products more robust, more resilient, more reliable and more secure, and not rely on somebody who has had, if they're lucky, a half an hour lunch and learn presentation on how to stay safe online, given by their the, the. their, their company uh, you know that's no way to protect your organisation I know I'm being a bit flippant but sometimes that's what it, it comes down to No I think
1: that's such an important point because I think there, like a lot of um, advice out there and like a lot of sub- cyber security experts that I've talked to often talk about you know that that's the element that we need to kind of address and there's multi factor authentication there's passwords mm-hmm. and everything like that and all of that is very very important but myself and I were only talking about this um, before we came in being extremely cyber hygienic is Really difficult.
2: Yeah, but that's not our fault. Yeah, that's not our fault as users. Yeah, that's, that's what I the mean. Vanders that's fault. really hard because products are. I'm in this industry a long time, too long. <laughs> uh, that's
0: why you're a hall of famer.
2: <laughs> that's why I feel so tired. <laughs> <laughs> I'm crotchety and cranky, uh, but uh, every innovation I've seen in IT, you know, so I you started off on mainframes and mini computers. And then we, you know, I worked on the first PCs and we'd networks and we'd laptops and we'd mobile phones, smartphones and tablets. We're making the same mistakes over and over and over again. Uh, default passwords, insecure systems. You know, we're not designing systems to be secure. We're not designing, we're, people are out there developing new products and and, uh, uh, services, et cetera, which is great. I love innovation. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to be cross old man, you know, shouting at the clouds here. Uh, (laughs) But uh, if you're developing a product, you have to make sure it's secure. And I've I've talked about this in the past where I've compared uh, the IT industry to the automobile industry. So if three of us decided to set up a car company tomorrow, Right. And we've got this great idea for a brand new car. We're going to take on the Elon Musk of the world. We're going to take on the Volkswagen's, the Ford. We've got this fantastic design for a car. We have to abide by strict regulations as how we build that car and how we keep that car safe, how we keep the passengers and the drivers safe. We just can't knock together something with four wheels, and engine, put a pull a lovely body shell on it and then off we go. We have to be very go through very rigorous standards as to how we 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 make that uh, that car. Uh, we sit down and decide if we're going to do a, a, a new online cloud service or a product. We could just knock whatever the hell we wanted together and just put, put it put it out there and have no responsibility for and now, part, sorry, I've been, been a bit glib. There are you know GDPR mm. places a lot of responsibility on, on us for there. But in, in in the main, we don't have the same Stringent requirements as we have in manufacturing a car, or even making any other products. That that, that, that Yeah, like I
0: suppose even there. like standards and practices. Like we have crash test dummies exactly. and practices like that yeah. in the automobile industry, but we don't have maybe like standards for penetration testing or something like no. that in cyber. Uh, no, nothing funny, at all. It's
2: funny. There, well, there is a, a standard called the penetration standard, uh, which I helped develop many years ago, and it, it's it's meant to be a guide for. Uh, buyers of penetration testing as to what actually is a penetration test uh mm-hmm. because there are people out there who will sell you uh a test that is not a penetration test so uh, it'll make maybe if I make an anal- analogy here uh if if you if I had your address, Jenny, I could come around to your house. I could look around the building and I go, I might be able to spot a way I could break into your house. So I might spot that you're using a cheap lock on your front door or you've got the uh, bathroom window left open upstairs. You don't have a house alarm, uh, an intruder alarm or whatever. So I know where your vulnerabilities are, where the weaknesses are in your house to break in. So that's in IT. We have a similar thing that we call a vulnerability scan. Mm-hmm. So we do a vulnerability scan of your network or of your system and we can say, well, these are potential weaknesses. And we don't test those. It's, it's like I'm standing in the street looking at your house going, well, if I wanted to break in, I'd try that. I'd try that. I'd try that. But I don't try that. A Penetration test is where you have somebody with the skills to go, OK, can I pick that lock? Can I climb into that window? And if I climb into that window, Am I in a part of the house that I can get anywhere else? Because you know, like maybe in, into that window, it's where you keep your Doberman that you haven't fed for four <laughs> days. <laughs> you know, and until I get into that window, I'm not going to know know that. Uh, and that's you know, in in the IT world, we do a penetration test, which, which is quite which, which is similar. You get somebody with the experience and the skills to try and break the system. Uh, and you know, this, this is where, as you said, Elaine, come back to standards is that we do need. I would think much better education out there for people as to what they're what, what they need to buy to make their system secure. Uh, and I'm when I say buy, I'm talking about products, services, consulting services well, mm-hmm. because unfortunately, I think at the moment we have a there there's, we don't have a lot of knowledgeable people on the buy side so that they may not be buying the most appropriate tools, mm-hmm. the most mm-hmm. appropriate solutions to keep their system secure. And yeah. I also have to, you know, we also have to address the the, the issue that many businesses think of security as, as an aftermath, anyway. Yeah. So there's no budget for security. Yeah. Oh, it's budget to buy all those fancy new laptops and new new system, but oh, secure? No, that's going to take a separate budget, and we'll do that in six months or down the road when we get attacked. <laughs> well, after, no, normally after you get attacked, yeah. because you never open the budget before you get it, you know, and then your budget
0: it. never ha- sells its value because you've put in all the protections and you never get hacked again. And it's like, well, why did we spend so much on that? We never. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> get like the when you work in you're
2: security, you're kind of trying to, you know, you kind of prove a negative. You know, uh, how, how, you know, uh, Why haven't Why haven't we been hacked? I, I do know. I've heard of a, a one client who who had to argue with his uh, CFO. The CFO wanted to cancel the antivirus software contract they had. Uh, because they never had a virus.
1: But that's why. And he's going, but that's <laughs> Dear why. God.
2: Yeah, you know, but, you, the CFOs, That's how it works. <laughs> that's, that's how, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But again, it comes back to maybe the, the overall point I'm trying to make. We shouldn't have to buy mm-hmm. add ons to make our system secure. Mm. They should be secure from the, ver- from, from the very beginning. Uh, now, thankfully, things are starting to change at the EU level. We're seeing new regulations coming through that are going to force uh, vendors to develop secure products and make them more secure. I'm also seeing talk of in the US on a, 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 a similar type of federal uh, laws coming in as well to make vendors ensure their products are as secure as they can be.
0: I think there's a psychological leap that you have to or kind of retraining our brains in a way, because like none of us ever thinks twice about putting on a seatbelt just to bring that car analogy a bit further along. We never want to be in a situation where that has to be used to the best of its abilities. We never want that Mm -hmm. scenario to happen, but we'll never think twice about putting it on. Mm. But that you were just saying, like, you know, people only think after the fact of, like, cybersecurity and stuff like that. And a lot of it is dependent on third-party suppliers. And if they don't know what they're buying, they might find out too late that their seatbelt is a piece of rope. Exactly, And if they don't think of it in that way, I think, like... Obviously, there was a time when people didn't use seatbelts and it was cool not to and stuff like that.
2: <laughs> Crush I mean, the old uh, man yeah. again. <laughs> yeah.
0: I'm not going to make any aspersions on, on what that says about your age. But uh, yeah, like that definitely wasn't that long ago. No. So we need nearly like an RSA campaign <laughs> to For get cybersecurity. Cyber we do. Yeah.
2: Like In, in fairness, we, there haven't been that many campaigns here in Ireland. You know, there hasn't been that many public campaigns here. Now. There, there is every year we have October has been the uh, cybersecurity awareness months. Mm. And you were aware of cybersecurity for a month. But what about the other 11 months mm. of the year? Yeah. You know, and are we making sure people again, we're focusing on. The user, not on the vendor mm. and uh, on, on the service providers. What we need to focus on them to make sure they're providing secure services.
1: I'd love to talk about the individual users for a minute, though, because sure. um, unfortunately, the um, vendors, because they're kind of not building it in this design, the users are then presented with scams, hack emails and um, things to trap them, essentially. Mm-hmm. And it shouldn't be on them. But the fact of the matter is, it often is. And not even just in work in big organizations, but their individual emails and things like that. What kind of things are coming up more and more frequently, do you think, for individual people?
2: Well, for individual people, and, and this is the same we see it in the corporate area. Uh, you, you, you kind of said earlier on, Jenny, that cyber crimes are becoming more more sophisticated tools mm-hmm. to uh, launch attacks. The most sophisticated tool we see regularly is email. Yeah. You know, so you, you just have to write a convincing email uh, and send it with a link or an attachment and convince the person uh, to click on that link and that attachment, which often then leads them to um, uh, a page where they, you know, where they have to enter their credentials for that's for their for their work credentials, for uh, their e- email or whatever, or it's for their personal systems, be banking or credit card or uh, their social media accounts, etc. cetera. So uh, part of the problem we have is that vendors and application developers and et cetera have relied on people picking secure passwords to keep the system secure. Mm. And that's putting it on us. Put, <laughs> putting the onus on us as individuals. And it's also making it's because passwords are cheap. Mm. You write a system to and you rely on it being secured by passwords. Well, It's cheaper to write a, uh, uh, a an authentication mechanism using passwords than it is to use other things. Mm. Uh, so that's why companies use it. And then you put. And, e- and even many companies. Don't even you. Don't even manage the password system properly. They may store passwords in plain text. Uh, whatever that's. A compl- sorry I'm, I'm diverting away from the, the question you. Oh no. You, you, I was rolling
0: asked. my eyes at the frustration of that. Not because <laughs> I was in any way bored. I was just like holy no, no. crap. Yeah.
2: <laughs> you know like, if you, like. Look at LinkedIn back in 2014. Everybody's username and password was stored in a plain text file. So when they got hacked everybody's password was available. Mm. Now, the problem is. The standard advice we give for people on passwords is what is it?
0: Use a different password for every platform.
2: Well, that's what we tell people to do. <laughs> but the most people, that hear, what people hear is, is pick a password, make it long. Use uppercase, lowercase mm-hmm. numbers and special characters. Make it something that you remember, but not, not easy to guess. Don't make it a word out of a dictionary because criminals can use that mm-hmm. and use a different one for every system. Yeah. That sounds like how easy does that? Like that's that's ridiculous.
0: Yeah. Well, and yeah. when it got to the phase now where we all have so many digital Absolutely. accounts, exactly. it's like I was just saying to Jenny, I had to wipe a computer recently and re-signing into everything was one of the most painful processes I've ever had to go through because I'm also like 2FA'd up the wazoo. Yeah. So it's just a forever. <laughs> yeah.
2: And, and, and so this is for the challenge. Coming back to your comment, Elaine, we're putting the onus back on the on the individual to do all that and not make our system secure and not make our authentication mechanisms uh, more intuitive and easier for people to use, uh, so that that's to me where it is a problem. But coming back to our, you know, where we are at the moment, we have to live with what we have. Mm. So uh, people are going to have to remember uh, passwords. And I don't. I would actually say, don't remember a pa- Don't remember a password. Use a passphrase. The TechSec podcast was great. You know, change every E to a tree and put an exclamation mark at the end. Now you've got a long password that is easy to remember. Hmm. Now, hopefully not everybody listening to this won't all use the same password. (laughs) (laughs) Don't use that exact one. (laughs) But it's easy to remember. Yeah. Uh, Now you still are going to have to have a unique passphrase for every site. So I'd recommend use a password manager. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can get them for free or you can pay 30, 40 euro per, per year for them. And that can, or... If you're an IT manager, you should be looking at maybe get an enterprise password manager for for, for, for the company so everybody can use. And that way you can store your passwords in that you don't don't have to remember them uh, and you can use a very secure password to secure your password manager and put two FA uh, or multiple FA on it. Like my password manager, I have a strong password. I have uh, use an authentication code from 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 an app on my phone. Plus, I have a physical key. Oh,
0: yeah. The physical keys are really cool because, like, just bring back to, you know, basic safety, I think, like, it's, as we were saying earlier, the criminals are now kind of lazier because they can do everything remotely. Like, they're not not likely to, you know, do like an Ocean's Eleven where they hire a Matt Damon to pickpocket you for your key, (laughs) unless you're really, really high level. (laughs) So, like, if you have a physical key, like UB key I think is an example. Yeah, yeah. they I think they're one of the most clever things I've come across. Yeah. Now
2: the thing I just want to get across here though as well is that there is no such thing as 100 percent security. So you're managing your risk. Mm-hmm. You know, so maybe you might have one password for sites you don't really care about. So we, in in your intro you talked about oh you know you sign up for this website and for, for this newsletter. So maybe you just use you know Brian newsletter at gmail dot com. So it's a throwaway email address. You may never use it again. If it gets breached, so what? But if you're using a password, you know, a user account for your uh, or an email address for your banking or other stuff, it might be something, you know, you, 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 you keep that locked away. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, you use multiple passwords because if you take the LinkedIn breach, after that, we saw a series of accounts being hijacked on eBay and Amazon because people use the same passwords across those systems. So if, you know, unique passwords uh, for management; mm. hence, the, the the password manager, and use multi-factor authentication where it is. But again, we're coming back to the problem now. Mm. Like on my phone, I just want to remember. I think I got four or five different authenticator apps, depending on which application I'm going into. Mm. Because one will, one system will say I have to use the Microsoft one. Another system says I have to use the Google. One. Another one says I have to use a uh, a Cisco Duo. One another one has I have to use a semantic one. Make it. You know, why don't we? Mm make it easier for the for the individual and your you, your your example is great, uh, Elaine, because we do change our phones, we do change our computers. And it can be quite painful if you haven't rem- rem- reminded yourself to to back up your MFA system mm-hmm. or your pass- passwords. And now you have to reset yourself up again and all these systems. So, you know, we should be looking at ways to make it easier for people to to use our systems to to be secure online. Uh, otherwise, people will inevitably try and take the uh, not go the easy way, and unfortunately, that can lead to a, a a breach then down the road.
0: I'm so glad to hear you say that because, like, when I have encountered those um moments of this kind of friction in use mm. cases and it also happened when my phone was robbed before and I was so secure I could then not access anything that I owned because <laughs> yeah. I couldn't get any 2FAs. Uh, so that was a fun experience. Now I was saying to myself there's no point in being mad because at least it shows you your security systems work, You're like you're definitely whoever yeah. took your phone's not getting access to anything, you've shut down everything, whatever. But it still was a very frustrating experience as a user and it was just a really painful experience. So I'm so glad to hear that it's not just like me thinking that as a user, that someone with all of your knowledge of security and knowing that, you know, we do need to practice good security, you still think that this could be a better user experience oh, absolutely.
2: for absolutely! And I think our phones are a good example of how better user experience happens. If you take smartphones from eight, nine years ago, we had to enter a PIN number and a password for every system we we had. Now we have biometrics. You know, if you want to open up your phone, you can have face recognition. You want to do a transaction online. It's 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 stored in, in, in the wallet on the phone. You know, the, our smartphones have made life easier and it's 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 getting. To, for me, I think the challenge is is twofold. We need to make systems more secure. But not at the cost of use usability. If you make the system more secure and you make it harder to use, people, are, people are going to bypass it. People will find the ways around it. And that that it, it happens either individually or in a corporate environment. People want to do their work. People want to send that email. They want to access that, that piece of data. They want to log on to that banking system. Uh, so making it difficult for them is, is just going to make them think, well, do you know what? I'll store my password for that system in my in my browser. Or I'll, I'll store yeah. my credit card information in my browser, as you, as you said in the introduction, because uh, so what? You know, yeah, it, it, I, I want to. I can't I can't be uh, take the hassle of trying to 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 go towards anything. So we do. And again, I'm, I'm speaking for the IT industry. Well, I'm not speaking for the IT industry. That's mm-hmm. a bit, you know, uh, uh, you, you can say that. Me. But, but <laughs> what I feel as as an IT professional, we need the IT industry to uh, look more upon how we make systems easier to use from a security point of view and we need to stop at being middle-aged white guys who are developing these systems in, in in america somewhere we need to take whole everybody's experience in a, a diversity and like if you look at some of the technology coming out of africa where they've got limited internet access and limited resources some they've got some great text-based sms-based payment systems coming out you know that, that you just go wow that's really cool really smart and they, that's you know, let's let's take more of that on board. Sorry. I've
0: always said limitations always give you the best
1: innovations. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think yeah. it's so important to point out that like people do just want to like get on with their work. And also they and the don't lights. Yeah, but they don't set out to be unsecure. I think no. it's important to remember that they're not purposely like people who are putting in the same password for everything don't set out to be like, Oh, yeah. I'm just gonna take a risk. Yeah. I'm feeling wild today. Me, I'm
2: living yeah. on the wild side. Woo-hoo. Yeah. I'm yeah.
1: living on the edge. <laughs> yeah. Come and hack me! Yeah, no, they, yeah. like they would prefer Forget to be about secure. about those
2: roller coasters. I'm going to use the same password across ten systems.
1: <laughs> they yeah. want to be secure. <laughs> it's oh, true, tickles me. <laughs> <laughs> they want to be secure. They want to do it easily, but they want to get on with their can, work yeah. and. On uh, the day-to-day basis of like, oh, how long is this going to take me? I'm going to get there faster. Yeah. And that that sounds like a you problem, IT industry. <laughs> oh, you know, it is. It is. And yeah.
2: it's also, you know, we need to invest in talent and skills to make that happen and invest in technology to make it happen and not kind of go, well, it'll do. And we'll we, we, we fix security mm. later on. Like the amount of times we get phone calls from uh, and. Uh, a company's saying, Look, can we hire services? And we go, Absolutely. Yeah, we're going live or a system next week. Can you do a penetration test on it? <laughs> and we're going, right, You're going live next week. <laughs> uh, so you want us to do a test and come back with all the findings and have those fixed within a week? Now, and a week sometimes is generous. Sometimes it's, you know, can somebody come in and give, test our system tomorrow? We're going live the next day. You know, like it's it's to build security in from the very, very beginning. Mm.
1: And you mentioned, um, you know, bringing in more skills and talent. Yeah. There's a lot of talk around like tech talent shortage in general, and cybersecurity mm. has a talent shortage and things like that. What are your thoughts on that?
2: My thoughts range from, yeah, we do have it to that is, oh, we're, we're 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 not doing this properly. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm not going to use the bad language, but sometimes <laughs> I think we look at this and we're going, you know, I see I see adverts for uh, sock analysts. You know, so if you like entry level roles in IT, you know, that you have to have a computer degree. Mm. You have to have a, a CISSP, which is a, a security certificate. It's a professional certification. You need at least five years for that. Yeah. So the criminals
0: don't have those the qualifications. Don't have <laughs> uh,
2: they, they don't. And if we're putting these rigid requirements in place, well, then you're only you're going to narrow the talent pool to a very competitive pool. There's a lot of, you know, around this table here, we've got talent. You ladies are in media. One of the things us IT people are crap at doing is communicating. <laughs> we're in a communication, we're communications, technical experts, but we can't communicate properly. You know, how often do you hear a uh, uh, IT people try and talk about technology to a non technology audience. And you just see the whole audience eyes just glaze over. We need, you know, from going back to securing the, the human and, and, and making the human less risky, we need to better communicate to people on how to do things, better communicate to the board, better communicate out to the business as to as to how we make things secure. So we need to take the blinkers off at looking at you know, IT security is is the uh, you know, super, super techie, uh, you know, special forces of IT. You know, no, 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 we're not. We just you need people who have good analytical skills, good communication skills, and they can come from any backgrounds. One of the best people I've ever had in uh, awareness raising and awareness training is somebody who used to be a uh, uh, a a waiter in a restaurant. In a, a hotel that was actually used quite a lot by Americans, so He would often say, yeah, we get a lot of complaints of people giving out about stuff, but he could deal with them and he was able to communicate and he could, you know, if he didn't understand a technical topic, it could be explained to him and then he could then translate that in ways that people could understand. So there is yes, there is a tech talent shortage, but that's across it in general. Uh, And I think we do, you know, I firmly believe we we just need to look beyond that. We need to look into uh, other Uh, areas of, you know, diversity, not not just uh, not just female, uh, you know, I.T. and I.T. security is very male dominated uh, and and I.T. security in particular. Uh, But we need to, you know, welcome more of female talent in and retain that talent, but also from other areas, newer diversity, other backgrounds, uh, you know, to. To make what we design more secure and to get more ideas and and, and more talent in um, it's. So I'm quite passionate about trying to make sure we we, we, we have diversity in the industry. But uh, uh, it's it's a it's a slow, slow battle. And, you know, uh, it is a very male dominated and chauvinistic industry. Unfortunately, it's it's you know, uh, I have witnessed it at conferences and stuff where uh, you know, you said if, if, if that behavior happened in a nightclub, that person would have been kicked out. <laughs> you know, so, uh, and it's, it's a, it's a, it, sometimes it can be very aggro based things. You know, we have this in the IT cybersecurity industry, you sometimes have this kind of, well, you know, we're on we're on the front line defending the organizations against hackers and criminals and, and and nation state attackers. You know, we are the we are the elite of I.T. and therefore we're macho, we're brilliant, you know, like how many vulnerabilities have you got, you know, how many CVEs have you have you registered etc. And you're going, guys, it's not about that, you know, tone it down. You're not special forces. You're you're an I.T. person, you're a geek, <laughs> you know, be a nice geek. Don't be an <laughs> asshole geek. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot
0: a... no. I loved that. That was brilliant. But yeah, like uh... see, cranky old man. <laughs> you know we love a cranky old man, don't we? Oh. We do. <laughs> yeah, they <Big> fan. <laughs> but it, like, it's definitely a career path worth exploring for anyone with Absolutely. like any interest in any it, because you're it. you're needed. Yes. And once you're needed, you will have a very competitive case to make to an well, employer. Well, I, I
2: often joke Elaine that if. I didn't have my own company. If my company was somehow to go out of business tomorrow, and I had to apply for a job in the IT, IT sector, IT cybersecurity sector, I wouldn't get a job. I don't have a computer degree. <gasps> I have no third level education. I have very have a few interesting certificates, but I wouldn't get. You know, if if you if you look at the job, if you look at the adverts. You don't, don't meet, meet the specifications. I don't oh meet the minimum God. specifications.
1: Literal Hall of Fame person. I, I was,
2: yeah. I was, I helped a univ- a university here in Ireland develop their Masters in Cybersecurity course. I put together the content for them. I sat with the college against the, uh, I can't remember the, the government board that approves the, the courses to, to support them with it. I was invited by the head of school to lecture. On it, and I said, "No problem." I told, "The formality will be. That's no problem, Brian. Your th- but you, there is a formality. You'll have to apply for the job." I said, "No problem." So I put together my CV, I sent it in. Didn't hear anything. Didn't hear anything. Rang up the HR departments. Told, "Oh, yeah, you didn't qualify." Wow.
0: So because he didn't, didn't take you a specific the course. I designed. The,
2: <laughs> I didn't have a, There, were, I didn't have a computer degree. Minimum requirement was you had to have a yeah. computer degree. I was going, but I designed the course. And I, I, at the time I was lecturing in two other universities in cybersecurity. And this university said, no, you don't meet them. You don't have the minimum requirements. So, you know, if 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 you want to have a diverse, you know, there are lots of other good people my age, you know. So mm-hmm. like we talk about diversity, it's not just
1: male based on and male and female.
2: Yeah, yeah. Ageism comes can come, in, come across You may have people who have have a long career in I.T., you know, you know, who, who are the ones who held the Internet together by chewing gum and bits of uh, uh, tinfoil back in the day to, to make it into what it is today, uh, who probably wouldn't get a job if they were to apply for it uh, straight off the back because they don't have they don't meet the minimum requirements.
0: Do you think there's another kind of. Dangerous assumption that happens there as well, not just in the hiring, but just around cybersecurity in general. I feel like people always think, like, you know, dodgery old people getting scammed online. And mm-hmm. I know 20 year olds who've gotten scammed, and I yeah, know people I know. in their 60s yeah. who can spot a fake email just by because they know the tricks of checking the headers and stuff like that. So, like, uh, age is it irrelevant. Is,
2: it is. I, I, my, my, my late father, I, I, I remember just about 10 years ago, uh, and, you know, I, I'd, I'd been, I'd set, the com- I'd set up my current company for a few years, and he said, Brian, what is this IT cyber security thing that you do anyway? You know, so I try to sit down and explain to him, and uh, I started using the uh, uh, you know the fake email that, that uh, you know I'm I'm the widow of a prince who in in uh, who who's been executed. I've got twenty million dollars in the bank account. I looked you up online and if I if I can use your bank account you can k- keep ten percent of the profits and so so I said I explained all this to him and I said this is what I'm trying to help people identify and protect against. Oh those? Well jeez in my office back in the 70s we we're getting those things in on the fax machine. <laughs> oh, <really? laughs> so criminals you know we talked about earlier on We've used, we've, uh, we as uh, business people and individuals, we, we've taken technology on to make our lives easier and to do things better and criminals are doing the same thing. 99 times out of 100, the scams they're doing are not new scams. They're, they're mm. the innovation in scamming is not maybe as, as big as it is in the technology. They're just better at using technology mm. to do to, to the scams. But as you say, Elaine, you know, I've seen victims of uh, cybercrime f- f- across All backgrounds, all levels of education, you know, people who you'd say, oh, my God, you know, that person is is dripping PhDs. Surely they shouldn't have fallen for that scam. But it does happen. Criminals design these things and criminals. Coming back to us paying ransom money and and all that money, they have loads of money to invest. Mm. So they're hiring developers to make their system, their, their, their code better. They're hiring psychologists to make the emails they write or the WhatsApp messages or, or whatever more convincing. They're hiring uh, accountants. So when they ransom a company and, you know, for 10 million euro and the the company says, oh, we can't afford to pay 10 million euro, the, the negotiator can go. Well, actually, our financial has looked at your your accounts and they can see you've got X amount in this bank account, X amount in that bank account, you can afford it. Yeah. You know, so they are, invest- you know, so- it's frightening.
1: A moment to appreciate, though the uh, the royalty from far off lands who took the time to fax. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, running away from the oppressive regime. Yeah, yeah. Husbands,
1: let me just send you know? this fax yeah, real quick.
0: I, <laughs> I love that. But also the delicious irony that, like, the messaging is clear. There, it's like, oh, you don't think you need to invest in cyber security? The criminals don't think that. Yeah, they are putting like, their money into this stuff, so you need to back it up as just, well.
2: Like, if if uh, if, if you like. That scam is called the, the 419 scam because it, it, it comes from there's a law in Nigeria called 419, which prohibits that type of scam. So and okay. back in the day, a lot of the emails were originating from Nigeria. That's why that law came came into place. But, you know, it happens from everywhere. Mm. Uh, but that, that that scam has been gone for years. Mm. It's originally known as the Spanish Prince
0: oh.
2: where letters were sent back in the 18th 19th century, where yeah. people were saying, "I'm the Spanish prince. I've been in held in prison." Yeah, <laughs> you know. So, yeah. It's Going back to
1: basics, always absolutely. the cybersecurity yeah. people. Yeah. Um, I'd love to ask your thoughts on ChatGPT as well, because it's oh. very topical. I know, I know, I know, mm-hmm. but people want to know. ChatGPT, yeah. it's everywhere. I'm. I personally, am also sick of writing ChatGPT. If it makes you feel any better, I'm just proud of myself that Chat I know ChatGPT longer...
0: can write it for you. There
1: you go. <laughs> I'm, I'm. just glad I'm no longer tripping over the actual letters, <laughs> which is definitely something I used to do at the start. But there's been some heralding of the dangers of ChatGPT in terms of security, and um, but I know that you have some. Reservations about that?
2: I have some reservations. Look, Chat G- GPT. I think it's it's an interesting technology. Mm. Uh, it's definitely going to change things. Maybe similar to how Google changed the search engine landscape, etc. Uh, but it's not infallible. There are lots of issues. Like according to Chat GPT, I died in two
1: thousand and two. Oh. Well, it's a good ghost.
2: <laughs> I always wonder what that smell was. Went, you know, now I know. <laughs> I'm decaying slowly. That's rude. Well, that's that rude. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there's another guy I know who also has been told he's dead. And he's suing open AI, open AI for defamation and all this sort of stuff. Because, uh, uh, you know, people People believe it, yeah. b- believe it. Well, if, you, well, if, if, if you that do, becomes a search...
1: Yes, Yes,
2: exactly. So we're still at very early early stages with ChatGPT. So I do believe all those issues will be ironed out over time. There are bigger issues we have with ChatGPT about the. I've ruined it for you now. Sorry. You You put that in my head. Don't (laughs) trip over the letters. (laughs) But we do have the issue where you do have uh, it can be used to make life easier for the criminals. Mm. But it can be used by people to make life easier for themselves as well. Mm. So developers can use ChatGPT to write code for them. You know, write me a piece of code for a website that's going to host uh, the tech, the tech tech podcast and have a registration page that takes emails. You know, boom, there you go. And the developer couldn't paste that into their own code. Not that developers ever Googled for source code and couldn't paste it into their Code no before. never never yeah, that would never happen but chat gpt will make that easy so it'll make it easy for criminals to probably write code to you know or write the, write an email targeting old irish men cranky old irish <laughs> men to get their bank account details who who bank with a certain bank that 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 that, that that's what i can can do uh, my concern from a cyber security point of view with chat gpt and ai in general is more from like our talk so far has been uh and i'm aware we don't have all day to talk or uh, you know but we focus on the individual security and and corporate security but cyber security is so much bigger than that it's societal it's economic and um, uh, everything else as well we've seen how uh Influence campaigns have affected elections in the past and and, and and disinformation and misinformation, that's where I think we're going to have a bigger problem over the coming years is you're going to have A.I. Uh, influencing people's thoughts, they're going to make people mistrust the mm-hmm. truth because, you know, if you, if you can't make out, you know, the Pope in a puffer jacket is not real versus you know, there's a, mm. there's a whole lot of things there, it's going to create a lot of disinformation, influencing. And we're seeing that, you know, uh, Jenny, you're talking about the Russia invasion of Ukraine. We already see online that that Russia is doing a lot of disinformation and spreading uh, propaganda online. uh, And they they will and other countries will use AI to spread that as well. Mm. And, you know, just speaking of uh, bigger issues than just corporate and personal issues, I read a report this morning that said 50 percent of North Korea's missile program is funded by ransomware.
0: Oh, oh god! so it's not just
2: criminals. Yeah, yeah. Involved, it's nation states involved. Like the, the WannaCry virus that took down the NHS uh, a few years ago, that was written by uh, North Korea.
0: Yeah, uh, they, I mean, they're one of the superpowers when it comes to when it comes to ransomware and hacking, ransomware and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: So, you know, chat GPT is a tool. All tools can be used for good and for bad. So I think as professionals, we need to look and recognize and give people the education, the tools to better protect themselves. Uh, and it comes back as to probably the the core thread throughout this conversation is We need to make systems more intuitive and safer for people to use, and we need to ensure that people using those systems are given the training and the awareness and the the ability to, to manage themselves more securely as well.
0: But also that core message of thinking of cybersecurity as early as possible in the process. Yes. So we thought we talked about that in terms of and um, people building out their own sites and platforms and services and stuff like that. But actually people just building tools yeah. that may get used by people. I don't think they're they're not well known to think of worst case uses or unintended consequences. And obviously Correct. you can't predict everything. But I mean, it's not outside of the realms of possibility for the people developing AI to think, and how would a criminal use this? Because absolutely they're going to use it. The same things that we use to make our life easier, they use to make their life easier. Like, do you think that things like maybe encryption and VPN and stuff like that, the stuff that we, it's such a cat and mouse game, like the stuff that we even use to protect ourselves, then becomes used to protect the criminals like do we need to be thinking about are how we, criminals use things all the are time are we
2: getting into the backdoor encryption debate here
0: oh i don't know if i want to wade into that <laughs> oh no, no. <laughs> i i do yeah. obviously encryption is a great thing
2: it is and absolutely. it's very important
0: yeah. for organizations to use it for the reasons we said like they, they need to encrypt their data so that if they do get hacked it's encrypted and all that kind of stuff but is do we need to be just thinking more ahead of how will criminals then use this? Can we think of how that might happen, and maybe not about creating backdoors, but just about is there a way that we can think these things through early on, or is anyone ever going to take those steps?
2: I think what you know, let's let's leave encryption to the side, mm. but I, I 100% agree with your point there that if you're developing a system or a service, you need to look at how it can be misused and abused. Yeah, and not just by criminals, by other threat actors. So, how can abusive spouses use uh, an uh, uh, a tracking device, uh, a luggage tracking device, uh, um, uh, to 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 target their 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 victims? How how can nation states misuse these things? Mm-hmm. How can criminals misuse this? So yes, you, we do need you do need to sit down and think. How can this be? You know. And, you're probably never going to cover everything, but it is worthwhile saying, well, how can this be misused and abused? And what do I need to to, to, to do to protect it? Now, unfortunately, that takes time mm. and maybe to put in the safety mechanisms that you want to put in place is going to take more time and more money. And often, if you're in a startup or a company, you're you're trying to get to the market as quickly as you can, so that might be something that might be unfortunately that's even aside. bigger
1: companies I think well even with the race companies. the AI race just shows how quickly big companies are willing to absolutely. speed up the process yeah. and we who knows what kind of corners may have been cut to get there you absolutely. know
2: absolutely and and that that is an inherent problem we have is that mm. a lot you know a lot of the technology that we're using may not be fully tested and we may be the crash te- crash test dummies of those systems before they're properly used you know uh on the encryption side I just to put it out there, I'm a fierce proponent that we should never backdoor encryption. Encryption makes our lives more secure. It makes our systems secure. It means I can communicate with people in a secure way, uh, and private way. It means I can transact securely online, uh, with a bank or anybody else. Uh, so we either have secure a secure internet that criminals will abuse, or we put backdoors into encryption, weaken encryption and therefore have an, an insecure Internet that criminals will abuse mm. as well. Like the, if you recall the. A few years ago, it was the San Bernardino yeah. County in uh, California had a big row with Apple about unencrypting a, 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 mob, a mobile phone belonging to a, 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 a murderer that, that had been arrested and they wanted to open the phone to get more information. Apple refused and it was encrypted and they'd no back doors for it, went to court. Guess which county paid a ransom for being ransomware just the past few days.
0: San Bernardino.
2: Yeah. So that, you know, if you, if you take that thought a bit further, if Apple had. Conceded and yeah. handed over decryption keys, where would those decryption keys be now?
0: Oh, dear. Oh, that's quite a thought. So, yeah, you know, now, I think ultimately un- what undermining happened there was and,
2: and weakening Encryption yeah. doesn't make it any more secure.
0: Now, the this the official story. I think people question that as well because it's this kind of story has lots well. of conspiracies yeah. and stuff around it. But it's, they did hack the phone in the end, so they didn't get yeah. Apple's help. They didn't get they, Apple's. They, they, they got they, into it there, eventually. There was
2: a third party company that that was able to yeah. to 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 break into it. And how they broke into the phone, then you would not be able to break into it now. But there are third yeah. party companies out there who are developing spyware and Mm -hmm. other ways of breaking into phones. Now, it is expensive to use them. So the majority of us may not have to worry about it. But if you are a high enough target, unfortunately, journalists would be considered Mm -hmm. to be, (laughs) not to scare you, (laughs) Uh, but yeah, we.
0: we, That does make me think a lot, though, because we were talking about 2FA. Mm. And and using on device authenticator apps and like a lot of things seem to be coming back to and it seems to be a bit like coming back to the individual but coming back to the device now it's like the yeah. device is now the last bastion of protection but it, that that then becomes a the target
2: it is because you know five six years ago we we didn't we didn't use our smartphones for what we use them now. Now we have everything on us. We yeah. have our whole lives on it. our social media, our banking, our finance, yeah. our corporate, you know, but with, with advent of, you know, with COVID-19, many of us are probably using our devices for working. Everything. Yeah. So, yeah, your device has become the am um, endpoint device has become the. The holy grail, if you like, and if it's not protected properly, it, it is wonderful.
0: It's a bit. All your eggs in one basket, I think, the way we're doing with devices, because it's like in a lot of cases, like where you have your work email might also be where you have your sexts these yeah. days, yeah. which is yeah. that's very compromising. And if you're not protecting that properly. So just for some general advice for anyone who owns a phone mm-hmm. and who might have, use it for work or even life, it, they want to make sure it's protected. What are your best practices for making sure that your phone is protected?
2: To make sure your phone is protected. OK, so uh, let's take an individual first. As an individual, make sure it's encrypted. There you have a pin number for your SIM card and a password to, to, to access the device. So anytime you turn the device off or it locks, you have to, you have to put the password in again. Uh, you could enable biometric access, be that face ID or, or, or prints, But I would also back that up with uh, random uh, asking for your password as well. Don't rely mm-hmm. on that 100%. Uh, I would try and... Uh, so they, they would be the key things from, from, from an individual's point of view. Then any social media accounts or any banking accounts or anything else you access from that device and make sure you have strong passwords or passphrases for each of those systems. You have different passphrases for those systems that you enable multi-factor authentication. Now, I know you might end up having two or three multi-factor authentication apps, but that's less painful than having to... Uh, recover your yep. bank account details if they've been your 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 bank they've been stolen. So uh, enable MFA and use it use a password manager uh, and keep your system updated. Uh, mm-hmm. Whether that's an Android or an Apple, uh, Apple is easier because Apple forced the updates on you. Android, you're kind of waiting on your your carrier to to, to provide that. From a corporate point of view, if you have people who are using their Personal device for work. Invest in a mobile device management solution that allows you to put a virtual environment on the mobile phone that you can have your corporate data in that virtual environment. So it's it's separate from there.
1: It's like building a wall between the two. Correct. Almost, yeah. Yeah. The phone. So
2: you have your you know work email, work documents are in this virtual environment. Uh, so if the phone gets stolen. Uh, you have some protection there, but. You know, you you can you can remotely wipe the virtual environment from the phone, but not the complete phone, because I do know of situations where people have lost phones, but have not reported to I.T. because they know I.T. would wipe the phone and they're kind of gone. I've got a year of photographs on this phone and I want to recover the phone first. So actually it comes back to to another uh, tip I forgot to mention. Back up your device regularly. Mm -hmm. So uh, from a corporate point of view, but also have a bring your own device policy to let people know, okay, if you if if we're if we're allowing and this the this is the mindset you have to get into, if we're allowing you to use your personal device to access our corporate systems, these are the minimum security requirements we we need you to have Uh, and then have a system in place to enforce those or you give people and this is what the CFOs roll their eyes when I talk about Mm -hmm. it. You give people a corporate device that they use only for for work and they have a personal device to keep their personal lives on.
0: Yeah, I mean, for high-level executives and stuff like that, I think that makes the most sense. Like, Mm. we're hearing so much now about, like, people working in governments and stuff like that getting suspicious about certain apps. And I was just like, what are they doing using their personal phone? Well, I
2: I, I had the same thoughts on why have you got social media apps on your government-issued phone? Uh, Surely... Wild, you You have uh, another (laughs) phone for that. You should have another phone for that, you know, like... (laughs) Absolutely,
1: concerning. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Brian. We could oh, we could stay talking me. to you all day yeah. with all the things about cybersecurity, but it's been really great having you. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much.
0: For Tech's Sake is a co-production from Silicon Republic and the Headstuff Podcast Network, hosted by Elaine Burke and Jenny Darmody. Thank you to Julie Hassett for production, Matt Matten and Dali for our graphics, Claudia Grande for her social media support and all at the Headstuff team. You can follow us at For Sake Pod on your platform of choice or let us know what you think via fortechsakepod at gmail.com. As a Headstuff Plus community member, you get access to bonus content from across the network. So do check out some of our sister shows and give them your support and tune in next week for a brand new episode